What's he doing? A uh, shithead here watched Empire and Jedi last week and ever since he's been trying to do the Jedi mind trick. Crazy fuck thinks he'll levitate shit with his thoughts. Knock it off! The force is strong with this one. Dude, don't encourage him. <laughs> Episode 18. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. And transfer out, freak! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, fork-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, and now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, 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 and I'm here with my co-freak, three-time winner of the Silver Sow Award for Excellence in Journalism, Mr. Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Good. We're on our uh, third Star Trek, or Star Wars, pardon me, <laughs> that's a big mistake, Ooh. Star Wars Monthly Monday episode, so we're going to be covering um, episode three of the Cartoon Network's Clone Wars, uh, and the next four issues of the Marvel Star Wars comics, which are the first four after that take place after their adaption of Star Wars, so they're the first Marvel original Star Wars story, so that's going to be pretty exciting. That's issues 7 through 10. And uh, I guess we'll start out with uh, Clone Wars. I'll sort of uh, give a little nutshell on what that was about. It was uh, in, the, in the last episode, which was episode 2, we were introduced to General Grievous's um, big badass ship, the Malevolence, which is, you know, I guess the state of the art for the Separatists at this point. It's a big old droid ship with um, with uh, Grievous at the helm, and it fires um, uh, these big round contained energy bolts from ion cannons on either side of it that can sap anything in its path. That, <clears throat> pardon me will kill the power on any ship in its path, leaving them defenseless so the Malevolence yeah. can come and pick them off. So, kind of reminds me of the ion cannon from the Empire Strikes Back, except that it shoots like a like a, like a donut ring shape yeah. out at the ship, instead of shooting you know just a bolt like it did in, in Empire, but essentially the same type of weapon. And uh, in the last episode, they used it on a... On a clone ship and uh, had to rescue the clones and so now this episode um, Anakin's hatched a plan to bring in a bunch of I don't know if they're called Y-Wing fighters but they're proto Y-Wing fighters in to uh, destroy the malevolence and they've 
determined that the malevolence is heading towards a medical station where they send to patch up all the the chopped up clones from the Clone War. And uh, so they want to cut off the malevolence before it can go blow up all the half-dead clones. So Anakin plots a shortcut through a, um, a nebula in order to uh, to save some time cutting off the ship, uh, which is an old smuggler's route. And uh, it turns out to be a problem because this is a nesting ground of these um, sort of giant gas-eating whale creatures that sort of look like a combination of a whale, a dragon, and um, the toothy worm in the in the crater in Empire um, on the meteor crater. So uh they have to they have to avoid a whole school of them and uh but they do finally cut off the malevolence before it gets to the uh the clone hospital but they find out that uh the malevolence is pretty well armored and a couple of their clone troopers ships have been nicked up by the by the whales so uh they're they're sort of fighting a losing battle against the malevolence. Their original plan was Anakin wanted to take out the whole bridge area of it, and he figured if he blew up the bridge, that would get grievous and pretty much put the malevolence out of circulation. But it wasn't working, and meanwhile the malevolence is getting closer and closer to the uh, clone hospital, so Ahsoka sort of suggests that instead of trying to blow up the malevolence, they blow up the ion cannons before it gets a chance to uh, hit the station with him. So they do that. They do, He diverts all the ships and they they sort of um, blast up the base of one of the ion cannons and when Grievous tries to fire it, it, it feeds back or backs up or, or whatever and blows up and it actually causes the other one on the other side to blow up too and sort of cripples the malevolence and, and it has to limp off into the distance. So there was a sort of compromise met where, you know, they didn't get to destroy the malevolence, but they did save the clones, and and it sort of sort of left at that. You know, we, we see the malevolence flying off into space with a couple uh, limping a couple, off. Yeah, and uh, with a couple big uh, old um, Republic cruisers going after it, but you don't really see what its fate is. But you assume he gets away. But, uh, well, doesn't the next one pretty much pick up at this point? At that point, yeah. With in pursuit, yeah, yeah, because that that was my impression of this episode is that you know, as an action episode, it's fantastic. You know, it's got a lot of action. I felt like the the animation was really ramped up in this. I mean, some beautiful shots. You know, with the space whales and all that sort of thing. Some yeah. really beautiful shots. Sort of like paintings um, come to life. Yeah, you know, and and the the sound, you know, was was really wicked in this. You know, a lot of really good original sound, just crisp, and a lot of use of of surround sound, and the score in particular really struck me as an excellent score for this episode. I'm really liking uh, the the name of that uh, composer at the moment escapes me, but I, I like his work anyway. But he, he this episode in particular, I really like his stuff. But with all that said, you know, it it was just kind of an episode. You know, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't like your your standout episode. It, it kind of felt like it was setting the stage for what's to come rather than accomplishing much on its own. Yeah. 
because you know from here on out you know we get the next episode i think actually i think it's the next couple episodes are kind of the you know your classic like sink the bismarck type of story you know where right. they they have to pursue the now damaged uh ship you know to, to to try to bring it down kind of thing so this this episode kind of sets the stage for for what's to come for the you know for the future episodes but you know with that said, you know that's that's not to say I didn't enjoy it. I, I thought it was a good, solid episode. Yeah, I liked how it was, uh, how it's sort of illustrating visually the from you know where the Republic is going to become the Empire. There's a shot in the beginning with the big star destroyer like Republic cruiser, which has a trench down the middle of it that opens up, and that's where all the ships take off and land from it. And mm-hmm. uh, there's uh, it's like an Imperial shuttle. Coming, there's like four or five of them coming in, and their their wings are retracting and folding up. And as they fly in, you see a bunch of clone troopers in formation, and the the way the windows look, it's all very imperial looking. And for a minute, you know, you know, the whole visual your your visual Star Wars eye is telling you this is the Empire. You know, you get your triangular ship and stormtrooper like things all lined up, but this is the good guys. You know, so. There's the 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 line between you're starting to see the line move from where the good guys become the bad guys, and I like that. That's that's an interesting. I mean, we know it happens, but it's it's nice that they're illustrating it a little bit in the, in this. It's subtle, but that's you know that's the first thing I thought. I was like, wow, it's like pulling into the Death Star, you know. Well, speaking of uh, good guys turning into bad guys, something that uh, that I thought was really interesting for for me to find out was uh, not long ago. You know, they they released the the Clone Wars movie came out on DVD, right. and uh, I rented it through one of those red box things that you know that they have at Walmart. You know, just because I, I was curious to see it again, I'd only seen it just the one time in the theater, and I, you know, I really enjoyed it, but I wanted to see it again and kind of refresh myself with the, you know, with the story of that film. But also, um, that has a uh, an audio commentary on it um, with the director. It's the director and somebody else, I forget. But anyway, anyway, I listened to that because I'm, I'm curious. I like to listen to those kind of things and just see what you know what they have to talk about. It wasn't particularly insightful or informative, but one thing I did learn in it that I thought was really cool was, you know, the guy, he keeps popping up on Clone Wars episodes and he's, you know, he's got like the pseudo imperial outfit and he, he's an admiral on the, on the clone, the big clone ship everybody seems to get deployed from. He's got a mustache. Yeah, he reminds me of John Cleese, actually. <laughs> yeah. He's uh his name is uh I think it's pronounced Yalaren. Um he's an admiral. And what's really cool is he has a connection to the first Star Wars movie. Really? If if you remember um in the Death Star sequence, you know, in the in the famous conference room sequence where Tag and Moti get into a little, you know, fight with each other and and Vader spat. eventually yeah. yeah, Vader eventually chokes Mati, there's a guy in that scene, an old white-haired guy, an Imperial, and he's the only Imperial in that scene in a white uniform. 
he is that same guy. He's Yolaren years later as an older. Uh, he's uh, I think he's a moth or a grand moth by that point. And I thought that that was really neat that they that they tied this guy, you know, to the the you know right from the beginning, you know, tied him into the the Star Wars lore. So at some point, this guy, who is now you know the the big admiral guy on the Republic side, eventually becomes you know a Grand Moff in the Imperial Army later on. You know, it, it, you know down the road with the with the Death Star and all that. I thought that was kind of cool how they tied him in. And it's funny too because he's working with he's working with um, Anakin Skywalker both times. He probably doesn't even know it. You know. Oh yeah, you yeah, know, that's true. He's he's strategizing with this one as a good guy and and years you know twenty years down the line he's on the Death Star with him blowing up uh, Alderaan. Well, it's funny because the director was kind of bitching a little bit in the in the commentary about the fact that people keep thinking that this guy is uh, is supposed to be Tarkin, you know, in the in the Clone Wars saga, and he, he stressed several times it's not Tarkin, you know. I, he does kind of sort of resemble him, but, you know, of course, Tarkin didn't have a mustache either, but... He could have shaved yeah, it off, too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, yeah, he he was... He, he really started talking about the guy because he was trying to stress the point that it wasn't him, and then he went into the whole, you know, the backstory of the character and then revealed that, you know, he actually was in that scene. I, I just thought that was a really cool way to, you know, incorporate such such a minor, minor background detail of the original Star Wars, and they've managed to tie it all the way back into this Clone Wars cartoon. I, th- I thought that was really cool. People really underestimate and don't seem to pay attention to how much Lucas does stuff like that, you know? People mm-hmm. seem to focus more on the what, what they perceive as inconsistencies or what they don't like or whatever. But I don't think... An, uh, seems to be enough attention is paid to little details. You know, he really thinks this stuff out. Sometimes it works out better than other times. I, I can agree on that. But it's pretty uh, pretty amazing how he's web his own little, you know, he's web his own little web of a universe, you know, with everything somewhat tying together, you know, as far as, as that goes. Well, you and I were talking before we started, um, and you had the you know the really interesting observation about um, you know these comics that we're going to review, you know it, especially between the period of Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back in the Marvel uh, oh, yeah. comic Star Wars, you know there there was a lot of uh, story and a lot of subtext about prejudice against droids and cyborgs and that sort of thing. And you had speculated that, you know, of course, this is all, you know, 2020 hindsight now, yeah. but, you know, it did that come out of the thing that, you know, the, the Clone Wars is actually kind of a misnomer. It's not really so much Clone Wars, is that it's Droid Wars. Yeah, Droids versus Clone Wars. Yeah. So, you know, that that is, you know, I mean, you, you could actually speculate that it adds sense to it now you know it, it, now yes. it makes it relevant you know to where you can read these comics now and go okay now i get why you know everybody has you know why when luke walked into the bar you know the guy was like you know we don't their serve droids. their kind here sure. so and that that also you know i have a feeling there had to have been some point where 
the Empire or the Republic, probably when it was still the before it. Well, it becomes the Empire at the end of Episode Three, but um, there had to be some point when they probably said, "We're not going to use droid." Well, here's the thing: the Empire, I guess, couldn't use droids because that would sort of tip their hands that they were the Separatists too. That, that, that Palpatine was doing the Separatists. But at some point, the droids had to have been stopped being used in warfare because A, either they were too inefficient, or B, some form of Geneva Convention agreement or something. But they're gone, you know. It's for, you know, all the big conflicts were riddled with all sorts of robots of various sizes, shapes, and functions battling clones and and stuff like that and by Star Wars there's none of that you know droids are mostly functional stumpy or bulky things that can't really run around and kick ass you know right. not like a battle droid there's nothing like a battle droid in episodes 4 through 6 so which you know special effects wise was impossible anyway but at some point they must not have there must have been some backlash or some decision not to use droids anymore. I just think it's kind of funny that, you know, as much as I'm enjoying all this, you know, I, I enjoyed, um, you know, number two and number three of the prequel movies. You know, I'm really enjoying, I'm enjoyed the uh, Clone Wars cartoon and now I'm enjoying this latest car, uh, Clone Wars uh, show that's out. As much as I like all of this, there, there is just a twinge of disappointment to me in, in the sense that it, it's not quite the Clone Wars that I was expecting. You know, it's right. not quite what I thought it would be because I, I guess I just had this idea in my head that the, the it was called the Clone Wars because clones as an enemy or clones as a as a revolt or clones just as an you know cloning as an issue was at the heart of the war and that's not really the case the clones are just soldiers on one right. side but uh, you know I, I had the impression it would be something more like I don't know if you ever read it but back in probably I don't know like 87, 88 somewhere around there right after John Byrne did his reboot of Superman for DC Comics there was a I think it was a four issue series it was called World of Krypton. And it was really cool story, you know, where it gave a lot of backstory to the to the planet and the people. Well, they actually had a Clone Wars on Krypton in this story, and the whole basic premise of the thing was that they had come up with cloning and they had perfected it, but they used it to create. Basically, every citizen had a, 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 a like an excess of clone bodies like say three or four mm. for every person for that spare they could, parts for spare parts exactly that they could farm in case you know like their kidneys went bad or something you know and it became this big moral you know kind of like us with like uh, what do they call it, stem cells today right. you know it was that sort of a thing where it became this big moral thing and eventually led to a, a, like a civil war. I kind of envisioned that the Star Wars Clone Wars would be something more like that. Like like maybe like they 
started toying around with cloning and then it became an issue and then the clones revolted because they wanted to be acknowledged as people or some shit like that, you know? So that, that's kind of where I figured it would come from because it, you know, again, you know, as much as I'm enjoying it, Yoda's line at the end of the second movie about, you know, now the clone wars have begun. And I was like, eh, really? Is that, I mean, wouldn't you call it the droid wars or wouldn't you call it the, the civil war or the the separatist war i mean just it didn't you know it was like he had to create an event you know for something he had referred to you know 20 some years ago that but but it didn't quite squeeze in you know what i mean right right it, it's a nitpick but i don't know it's one that's just kind of stuck with me for a, for a while but but anyway, getting back to, the, to this particular episode, I, I, I dug this one without it being, you know, it, it didn't, you know, do a whole lot, but it was still a lot of fun. It was just a good, you know, good action episode. Yeah, I like I said, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. It, it, it doesn't, uh, it's not, it wasn't uh, burning itself in it had some really beautiful moments so those giant space um mm-hmm. space creatures were like a painting flying through this beautiful foggy nebula you know giant giant they sort of look like the the thing from the empire meteor you know maybe that was a, a baby form of of these but you know there was a whole school of them and the, and the way that the y-wings maneuvered to fly around them was just beautiful it was really nice and it looked like a classic matte painting or a a cover of a science fiction novel come to life you know it had a very painting painterly like quality to it and uh you know shots of the malevolence going through hyperspace were really beautiful the 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 animation on this one were is definitely above the first two episodes you know there was just some really beautiful shots of it yeah for a half hour kitty show it's it's doing good it's surpassing the movie mm-hmm. so you can't Absolutely. can't go Absolutely. wrong i hope the live action show is half as good as this are they still i mean is that still coming forward i i i hear precious little information on that well, they're probably being tight-lipped about it, but as far as I can tell, you know, that's what the the plan is all along. That he's he's been saying all along that he was going to do Clone Wars, and then he was going to do a a live-action show that featured new characters. It's supposed to be set between three and four, right? Right, between three and four, and it would have new characters, and it wouldn't have any main characters in it. But there was always the possibility of you know, an ancillary character from the other movies showing up for some reason or, you know, something like that. But he said it would basically be a new set of characters. I'd like to see Boba Fett. Beyond that, I don't really care to see anybody else from, yeah. you know, that that we know. I especially don't want to see, like, friggin' Jabba or anything like oh, that. But Please, no. Yeah, let's... No tattooing. That's a pet peeve of both of <laughs> yeah. us that everybody knows. <laughs> Just no, just stop it. Well, I think we're uh, we're at a good point for a break, and then we can get into the the real meat of the episode. Marvel I... seven through ten. Yes, 
Alright, we'll be right back. Cool. It's really a strange place to find a Jedi Master. George Lucas imagined the Force as the spiritual center of his fantasy universe. Obi-Wan Kenobi describes the Force as an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us, and binds the galaxy together. Towering Wookiee is lovable, fierce, loyal, and intelligent, but his shaggy appearance probably surprised many filmgoers. In fact, George Lucas's inspiration for Chewbacca came from someone very close to home. <laughs> Chewbacca came from the fact that I had a, an Alaska Malamute when I was writing the film, uh, a very sweet dog, and she would always sit next to me while I wrote the film, and when I'd drive around, she'd sit in the front seat, and a Malamute is a very large dog. It's like a 130-pound dog, and when she sits in the front seat, she's bigger than a human being, and she was a very long-haired dog, so she was huge. And um, it was that, having her with me all the time, that inspired me to have uh, Han Solo have a sidekick who was like a big furry dog. Okay, we are back from break, and we are about to get into the the real meat of our episode. And I say that because Chris and I, uh, we, we are very passionate, very nostalgic, just very fond of these issues that we're going into. But I think we also, uh, we, we can also bring a realistic, critical eye to it as well. But sure. These are just these are, hold a special place in our hearts because we were we were kids of what about ten years old when these yeah. started to come out. So uh, you know, it, it's hard to it's hard to put yourself sometimes in a place where you can remember where you know that there wasn't always the glut of Star Wars or Star Trek that there is out there today. You know, there was you know between the original Star Wars and. The Empire Strikes Back. I mean, there was pretty much Marvel Comics, Star Wars, and there was uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, and that was pretty much it. So, I mean, these hold such a 
a place in a lot of fans' hearts, I think, because, you know, these were Star Wars for the most part, you know, in that in-between period. Three years was a hell of a long time when you were a kid, you know, to wait for that next Star Wars movie to come along. So anyway, getting into this, we are reviewing issues 7 through 10, and I'll start off with number 7. Um, beautiful cover by Gil Kane and uh, inked by Tony DiZaniga. And uh, he's just he's one of my favorite comic book inkers, so I, I just really dig this cover. It, it's just classic Star Wars, yeah. and, uh, and I really dig it. Plus, uh, DiZaniga did a lot of work on Jonah Hex, and I can definitely see like, this is like a space Jonah Hex you know, yep. like a space western type. It almost looks like the Alamo in the background there. So I really except there's a big planet in the upper, <laughs> yeah. upper corner. Oh yeah, that's so true. So you know they're in space. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool though. All right, so getting uh, to the interior, this is uh, written and edited by Roy Thomas, with art by uh, Howard Chaikin on the pencils and inked just this one issue by Frank Springer who I don't know a whole heck of a lot about. I know that he did a lot of work um, in the Silver Age for DC, and then he went on to work for, gosh, quite a number of different books for um, for Marvel Comics. But the biggest thing I can remember of Frank Springer, uh, he kicked off the original Secret Six um, series for, for DC, and um, you know they're, they're back again in the comics now. There's a current Secret Six series out there. Not one of my favorite artists, and I'm really not fond of his inks at all in this particular issue. But, you know, some of his other stuff that he's done out there is is of note. Anyway, starting out this issue, New Planets, New Perils is the title of the story. And we basically get Han Solo and Chewie um, bidding a fond farewell to Luke, Leia, and the droids saying that, you know time has come for them to move on you know they've got to go deal with their own bullshit you know job of the huts put a price out on their heads if he if they don't pay them uh if han and chewie don't pay him back for you know what was it they dumped a load of spice or something right so, so they owe uh they owe job of the money back for that so they've no sooner left the fourth moon of yavin and they're headed back to wherever they're headed and they get attacked by space pirates and uh, these space pirates are using kind of a like kind of a mishmash fleet of stolen and acquired uh, ships from around you know the Star Wars universe. Han notes in one part that they're using X-wings and Tie fighters, and their ship even looks like uh, like it was a star destroyer. So they're captured and boarded by this guy named Crimson. What was his name? Crimson. Crimson is it Jack? Crimson Jack? I think. Yeah, Crimson Jack. Who is basically he's kind of a Scottish looking, you know, he's red red headed, red bearded red um space pirate guy. And his uh I guess first officer she must be, this girl named she's got a green beret on her name is a uh, Jolly. And uh they capture Han. Um they learn about the treasure, they they steal everything they basically leave Han and Chewie, they leave them alive but penniless. They, they've taken the treasure. They've got nowhere to go. They can't go back to Jabba now. So they go to, I guess, what must be the, the closest thing to them, this planet. Uh, how would you pronounce this? Is it Aduba or Aduba? I would say Aduba, like Aruba. Okay. Yeah, okay. Aduba 3, which is very Tatooine-like. 
and they land on this planet. They wind up in the middle of a funeral procession for um, a cyborg, which if you look on page 15, very first panel, this dude, this cyborg, it is Therok from the Fatal Five and the Legion of Superheroes. I mean, there's no doubting that that's exactly who this dude is, which I, I find that very funny. I mean, he looks exactly like him if uh-huh. you're familiar with your Legion of Superheroes comics. Um, so Han and Chewie rush in to help the priest who has been ambushed by a pissed-off crowd because they don't want this dirty, stinking cyborg buried in their cemetery. They're, they're basically their version of Boot Hill. So Han and Chewie kind of get involved just by accident. The priest offers uh, to pay them if they'll help him take this cyborg to the cemetery and give him a decent burial. So they agree to help him out. They don't get far before they're attacked again by the, the local crowd. Han and Chewie, they've had enough of this. They just open up on everybody with their guns, <laughs> mow down the crowd, which I just I just love that. So they, they shoot and kill enough of them to where it discourages any more further attacks. Unfortunately, their bantha um, was killed in the attack, so then Poor Chewie, you know, he's got to be just manual labor now. He has to carry the coffin with the dead cyborg guy to Boot Hill. The priest gives a little ceremony. They put the guy in the ground. And that's pretty much the end of it. Han asks the the priest, you know, where's there a good place to go wet your whistle around here? He directs them to the local cantina. And they go. And they go to a really nice, you know, looks like a little more upscale cantina from the one in the in the first Star Wars movie where these all these, like, really funky-looking, skeezy space disco. hookers or something. Yeah, yeah it's like disco, disco. hooker, um, Victoria's <laughs> Secret models. And uh, Not a bad favorite, place to be. My favorite panel of the entire comic is, is this, uh, let me see, this is one, two, three... The fourth panel on the last page, that's not Chewbacca the Wookiee. That's Chewbacca the Stud right there. He's got (laughs) Josie and the Pussycats on that panel. He's got a girl under each arm, and he's just like, yes. But those girls, they do. Every time I see those girls, they remind me of Josie and the Pussycats for some reason. They just, I don't know, I'm getting that vibe from them. If Josie and the Pussycats were into bestiality... Which we'll get more hey, into. Be, we'll, you know? Which we'll get more into in the next few issues too. <laughs> Just for those people who are thinking of drifting off on this episode, no, stick with us. We're gonna cover a little bestiality further on down the line. And, so, and these are the goddamn happiest aliens I've ever seen in this bar too. I mean, these these people are you know they're they're casual aliens here. It might be payday or something. So you know, Han, he's uh, he's scamming on some blue chick and everything, and. Uh, he checks on Chewie. Chewie's doing fine. He scored two chicks of his own. So Han's about to leave with this blue girl, and he gets approached by three of the, the locals who basically want to recruit him for... They have a proposal, they say, that uh, it's a most agreeable proposal, unless, of course, you have an unfortunate aversion to dying. And Han's like, huh? And that's where the episode ends. That's episode, uh, excuse me, the issue. issue rather. That's issue seven of Marvel Star Wars. And so, what you think I'm of down. this one? Oh, I liked it. Um, 
should I should I just go out and do issue eight, or do you want to? Do oh no, I, I think we should talk about each issue, and then oh, okay. Issue. So we'll do like the review of each one, and then talk about it a little bit, and then go on to the you know do the you'll do your review review of eight, and does that work? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll just cut. That's how I had. Out. Yeah, that's cool. No, I mean, that's how I had, I had envisioned it, rather than. Go, you know, okay. Because otherwise they'll be sitting listening to to four back to back, um, what you call it, uh, summaries. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a bit. Yeah, I I think that works out better. I just wasn't thinking how I wasn't thinking how we were gonna do it. Okay, so I'll start back into the show right now. Yeah, I like I like this one. Uh, um, but I it to me it's the weakest of these four issues. Absolutely. This one I read it and I was like, ah, you know, I remember this has some, this has some really bad Chewbacca's in here. You know, on the first page for one, he's the first, the opening, the opening one, the opening page, he looks like he's about five feet tall. With a, <laughs> he with looks a like gut. an Ewok. He does look like an Ewok and his head's kind of squashed down a little bit. And R2-D2's taking a dump because he's just going, bloop. <laughs> and then on the next page where Chewie's saying, Irk, he's, that's total Planet of the Apes right there. You yes, know, he's absolutely. He's total yeah. ape man. That's General got, Orko right there, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, what the hell is up with, with you know, the Lassie Come Home Chewie that's the fourth panel, or excuse me, the third panel on page three. Oh yeah, <laughs> looks like he does. He looks like a dog. We, let's refer to each one of these. We'll name them after the noise that Chewie's making. So this one's Haru. <laughs> this Haru, which um, which is saying something. Something could be really bad because Han says at least it's not an Empire ship. So what the heck? How bad could it be? Haru. You know, you've got a point there, pal. It could very well be space pirates. So Haru means space pirates in Wookiee. <laughs> now, what is up with angry, like, bodybuilder Han on page six? About oh, yeah, that's what I call Han smash in that one. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, so you had a note of this one, too. Yes, I, I did, yeah. Yeah, because he... Um... Yeah, he definitely. That's that's kind of a Hulk pose right there. I mean, that's yeah. well, that's he's all pissed classic, off you know, there. Banner, he's all big. <laughs> You're right, and Chewie's the same size as him. Either that, or he's all squatted down, or something. And and then all of a sudden, the the their front window that they usually look out is all of a sudden Massive. this huge window that he's got. You know, he's up Doctor Strange like with his hands on it looking out at the space pirates and it's just like, wow, all of a sudden the millenn- either they're shrinking or the Millennium Falcon's growing. I, I, and, and you know, this, this, this issue reminded me of, made me think, this is where Marvel Comics, I, I think they, they didn't quite, and as you'll notice, as we get to the letters sections later on, people start griping about the writer. Mm-hmm. Was it Archie Goodwin or... No, at this start, point it's Roy Thomas. Roy uh, Thomas. But, uh, yeah, we'll get to that when when we get to yeah. those later issues because uh, uh, Roy, yeah. I I think the shit got to him because he he bailed after this tenth issue. Well, I think I think it might have been because it seems to me that he had you know sort of ideas of what motivated Han Solo and stuff, and 
now, now, mind you, I, I really like these and I like the story, but this first one, it's just sort of written, it's it's a little out of the Star Wars universe. It's like Star Wars meets pirate. I like the fact that the pirates are all dressed as different things, but they're sort of dressed as different Earth things, you know? Yes. Except for the Stormtrooper, but, you know, there's a guy in the back with a fez on, and there's a guy with a sort of almost like from the neck down, it looks like he's Iron Man. And then there's another guy with an eye patch, and then there's another guy in a full, you know, pirate suit with the scimitar and the and the hanky brain bandage on his head, and you know, it's just a little, it's a little too, it's a, it's borrowing a little too much from Earth visual stuff and Earth ideas. It's space pirates of the Caribbean, is what it is. Right, right, and yeah. uh, and it wasn't written like when I'm and. Uh, also on page seven, there's also like Prince Valiant Han, where he's got some like weird, oh, yeah. curly, naturally curly hair going on there. Yeah, my note for that one was uh, get a haircut, hippie. And then, yeah. there's, then you go to the bottom of that page, and all of a sudden he's Mr. Spock. <laughs> he's almost given the Vulcan <laughs> Spock sign too. You're right? Yeah, yeah, he sure is. <laughs> So so I think at this point the writer and the artist was having a little trouble with getting Han Solo looking sort of like Harrison Ford. But it's it's interesting and then and then all of a sudden they're back at Moss Eisley on tattooing except it's not it's Aduba 3 and it's you know it's different but it's the same it's a massive alien. So basically I think right here the writer's like well I'm going to rehash some of the more popular elements of of Star Wars, which is a you know a a sm you know a, a spacer port with lots of aliens and and uh, I, but the the cyborg thing gets back into our whole thing of where uh, where um, people don't like robots <laughs> and they're they're gonna they're gonna kill this priest for trying to bury a robot in there. And this is really funny because you'd think Han Solo being a mercenary wouldn't jump into this fight, but he's pretty quick to be like, come on, Chewie, they're going to beat up that priest. And he even, like, refers to the priest in, like, a respectful manner by calling him para, which means father, you know, and so, so, which is strange. And on page 15 where he does that, at the top of that page is another weird, hu huge wide Bigfoot Chewbacca but it looks like he's standing on the same sort of like storm grate that Marilyn Monroe was in the seven year itch just like blowing his fur up into the air that that Chewbacca face right there just that scares me and on the top of the next page is another Planet of the Apes I mean if you if you take your finger and block it off from his chin up it's a Planet of the Apes head it sure is and uh, well, I like how going, the Banthas are drawn. Yeah, I was just going to say, though, but that... Is it just me, or is that is that a hairless Bantha? That's what I'm thinking. I think it's a variation. You know, it's just a different Bantha species, you know? Oh, okay. All it's right. It's was... more, more elephant-like than a, than a woolly mammoth-like. All right. I can buy that then. Yeah. Okay. But it's I, still a Bantha. Yeah. Because I, I was thinking more like those freaks that, like, have hairless cats. You know, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> and that, that kind of 
kind of just weirded me out a little bit. Like this, this priest actually took his his poor bantha to you know someplace and had it like de-aired or whatever. But okay, I, I, I can buy the the elephant and the woolly mammoth thing. All right, it is two different Tatooine-esque planets after all. And I just have three more chewy lines: Erg, Nurlk. Grog. Now we've seen Nurk before because I wanted that T-shirt that said "Got Nurk." Remember? Nurk is what Chewie says when somebody bounces a rock off his head. It's the equivalent <laughs> of "ow" because Han, they're both getting rocks bounced off their head. Han saying "ow" and Chewie saying "Nurk." <laughs> it's either it's either "ow" or it's my favorite. God fuck damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is you know, and this. You know, Wookiees are portrayed as being these, like, noble war <laughs> creatures. But in this, you know, this was in Star Wars time, early Star Wars time, Wookiees were, you know, just looking for a fight. Wookiees were, you know, like mm -hmm. the biker of the, you know, the, the Harley Davidson biker of the universe. They they were big and they would kick your ass and they liked to kick people's <laughs> ass asses. And, uh, you know, as wonky as the art is in this one, I do like some of the, I mean, they are very imaginative with some of the yes. aliens. And oh, I, yeah, I the really guy with the like, axe with his tentacles yes. wrapped around the axe. Oh, that's, oh, that's exactly what I was looking at, too. He's that one is of my exactly favorite aliens. Yeah. Yeah, he is creepy because he's like a, I don't know, he's like a cockroach man with, with like, Rope arms or something. He's yeah, really wormy arms. They're like segmented. They look like segmented worms. His arms yeah. and legs, like earthworm Jim or something. Yeah, that's he is creepy looking. Well, I, I really let me see here. I had several notes for this. I, I had like main notes and minor notes, but really my my main notes for this one was uh, about the about the inks that I didn't much care for the inks and then about uh Han's hair just <laughs> weirded me out it's but my big one was uh yeah if you remember there was I, I don't remember if it was last episode but at some point in one of our Star Wars discussions in one of these episodes maybe it was oh I know when it was it was when we speculated on what was what would a Star Wars episode 7 be like and I had gone into the thing about you know I'd always I never expected Han to hang around, right. and I kept trying to think of why. Why did I feel that way? Why did I always have that? It's got to owe back to this and just a childhood impression. Because when you think about it, you know there there were, you know, this was arguably the the very first Star Wars sequel. You know, but right in the same time period, you know, you had these first few issues of of Marvel. Star Wars Beyond the Movie. Then we had uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. But we also, and a lot of people I think forget, we also had the newspaper strip, which I was right. a huge fan of. And I, I, you know, I still have all my strips. I cut them out of the paper and I've got almost a complete collection. Between the three of those, all of them did the same thing. All of them didn't have Han stay with Luke and Leia. You know, they Han and Chewie were... And you had Han Solo at Star's End. Exactly, and... yeah. You know, so I mean all of them acknowledged that this is what Han was. He was just, you know, he, he was just part of that. That was just incident. one of his adventures. Exactly. 
you know, and he, he wound up with them. He did his job. He delivered them like he was supposed to. He got his reward and he split and he didn't hang around and become, you know, what he became later on. So I, I think that's why that that idea has stuck with me all these years that even if, you know, you can forgive him sticking around sort of against character, really, yeah, in Empire and in Jedi, I don't think he would have stayed around after Jedi. I don't think he and Leia would have worked out. I, I just, I don't know. I, I like that idea better, that, that somehow he didn't. And I, I even like the idea... Because you want her for yourself. What's that? Because you want her for yourself. <laughs> Not anymore, I don't. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think that was it on my thoughts for, uh, for number seven. I, I like it. I like the story... And it does have a lot of Earth-centric isms, but I like the beginning of the story. It's just what what holds that one back for me is the art is so very inconsistent. But uh, yeah, but it gets better. You want to do? Uh... <laughs> so anyway, moving on to um, issue eight, eight against a world, and uh, a little extra for this issue is. Uh, the deadly mission of Luke Skywalker. And this has Han and Chewie standing, shooting the... Uh, sh- sh- aiming at a shadow that's advancing towards them that looks like sort of like the um, the juggernaut maybe with like a bat, having a bad hair day with some like visible gel in his hair. You can't really tell. It's just this uh-huh. big hulking creature coming towards him. And it's behind the, him... It's the Abominable from Rudolph. Yeah, exactly. The Bumble... Exactly, yeah. But it's this big hulking shadow coming towards him, and behind him is like a porcupine creature, a woman with big boobs, a robot, um, an old guy with a lightsaber, a green rabbit, and what looks like a very angry Chinese Luke Skywalker in a blue and brown outfit. So that's what, what do you know now do you know who drew the cover there's no Yeah it's the same team it's uh Gil Kane and uh Tony Dizniga Now now this this issue uh was uh Roy, <clears throat> Roy Thomas was writer editor Howard Chaikin was the artist co-plotter and uh was the first issue is uh Tom Palmer is what it says is embellisher in residence so that means he's the inker Yep right and Tom Palmer did colors, Jay Costanza letters, and Archie Goodwin was a consulting editor. Tom Palmer, who, you know, he did a lot of, he's done a lot of work on comics, but a lot of people don't know that he was a famous PGA golf pro, you know, won a lot of tournaments and just went down in history as one of the all-time great golfers like Chai Chai Ratuguiz. So, uh, anyway, this, uh, this, um, issue is called eight for a duba three and it's continuing the saga becoming begun in the film by george lucas as it says here so it starts out in the cantina where they left off where um han was talking to the three guys who just came in and told him they had a job with him if he didn't have an aversion to dying and uh as he's just talking to this a big green guy sort of says hey that blue girl that you were trying to pick up that's my girlfriend leave her alone and Han can't leave it alone. He just, you know, sort of smart mouths the guy and, uh, you know, thinking that Chewie's going to take care of this guy. But 
Chewie's nowhere to be found, so Han busts a chair over his head. That doesn't stop the guy. He starts beating the hell out of Han, and he's just looking for Chewie. Not, you know, he's getting knocked around the barn. Other patrons, alien things, are getting involved, and um, keeps looking for Chewie. And eventually, he just gets knocked into Chewie's arms, and uh, Chewie tosses the first offending bad guy out the window thus pretty much ending the fight <laughs> and uh so you get to talking to these these people who showed up and it turns out they're uh three guys from a local village and uh every year around harvest time this band of uh once again they're sort of they're they're sort of a mixture of space pirates and outlaw bikers led by Sergi X and they fly around on these early sort of sky speeder things like motorcycles and they come in and you know take a percentage of all their crops and take their women and daughters off you know their wives and daughters off to rape rape and they generally rape and pillage their village every year so they need somebody to uh protect them this year cuz they want to bring it to an end and they want Han to do it now why Han would take this job I don't know but he says well you know how much does it pay and they're like well we don't really have anything to pay you but we'll give you whatever we got which basically is nothing so he says okay we'll do it that's best offer we've had all day so he starts holding auditions to get a group together um and I'm trying and, and this is very much like the western the Magnificent Seven you Magnificent know, Seven sort of, exactly and even the title of it is sort of similar to the Magnificent Seven so he's he's recruiting people so he lets lets word be known around town that can, you know, can I interject one thing yes I'm sorry to interrupt you for for younger listeners or somebody that just needs a more contemporary uh, uh, association with that um, think of Disney's A Bug's Life and it's the same type of thing, you know, flick right. goes off, you know, because they're getting picked on by the grasshoppers that come and eat their crops that all the ants right. collect all year long. Right. So flick goes and gets this group of what he thinks are warriors to come and defend the village. It's the same damn story. Yes. And it's also the, it's also used in, uh, the cheesy Richard Thomas, Roger Corman movie called battle beyond the stars. Yes. It's the same storyline. So anyway, so he, he holds auditions or he's recruiting people. So he's holed up in a hotel room, sitting around with his shirt off for whatever reason, whoever, why, nobody knows. Because it creeps me out. Because he just wants to creep people out hanging out shirtless with Chewie. And the first person he recruits is a porcupine creature um, who can shoot quills from from his arms. And he's from a supposedly extinct race. So he's the first one, and uh, he convinces, you know, he doesn't carry a weapon. He only uses a spine and convinces Han by, you know, shooting spines in a circle around Han's head that he would be handy. So he's he's hired. And then the next is this uh, space bikini-wearing, white-haired Barbarella, pom-pom-shouldered lady with a rose in her hair called uh, Meza, who obviously has a history with Han, and... He knows she's a good fighter, so they have a little banter, and he hires her. The next guy is basically Don, like Don Quixote mixed with the, the outfit of Ben Kenobi, and uh, his name is Don Juan Quixote, 
of the Je- mm-hmm. and he claims to be a Jedi Knight and he's you know he's delusional Don Juan his eyes are all cockeyed and he claims to be a Jedi Knight he has a lightsaber and he's babbling in in very old English style Don Juan and uh, <laughs> Han hires him for some reason he's like guys. Oh, He's crazy, but he won't get in the way too much, you know? And uh, so maybe he hires him because he has a lightsaber. He figures, well, lightsaber is a good weapon. Whatever. <laughs> and, it, and it does good for the story. So <laughs> he's hired. And uh, then all of a sudden the big green guy from, from the bar who started the fight earlier, or someone of the same species perhaps, comes barreling up the stairs, and he wants to cut ahead of everybody in line. He gets in a fight with the giant cutie-faced green rabbit who's seven feet tall. Rabbit literally kicks his ass. And Han <laughs> sees that and says, all right, rabbit, you're hired. And uh, the rabbit's a tough-talking, uh, um, you know, sort of laconic, almost like a Clint Eastwood style if he was a rabbit, which is <laughs> named Jackson, <laughs> which he could be called Jax for short. Which is funny. I Jack's like to call him Jacks off it. myself. But, yeah, you know. Jacks on, Jacks off, whatever, Mister Miyagi. <laughs> <laughs> and so then, here we get to here we get to the best part. Is the last applicant is this little kid with the exact same hat as Luke Skywalker? He's just younger, wearing his muscle tee, his wife beater, and his little robot, wisecracking robot with uh, tank treads. And his name is Jim with two M's. He's the Star Killer Kid, and he's got his his robot FE9Q, which sounds obscene somehow. But he's but you're thinking of four Q two from uh, <laughs> from Battle of Outer Space Wars. No, no, no. From uh, oh, what's the name of that? Hardware Wars. Hardware Wars. That's right. So he's but his he's known as Effie. So Effie the robot and Jim the Star Killer Kid show up, and the Star Killer Kid is a cocky kid. He wants to get off this planet. He's sick of this dumbass planet, and he wants to go out and get out of here. And that reminds Han of Luke. And as he thinks of Luke, you know, we check in on Luke and Princess Leah, and Luke's just getting ready to go off and try to find a new bay. He's on the still on uh, the moon of Yavin. And he's changed out of his styling jacket. Yeah, he's back into his farm boy duds, and he's off flying off to find a new rebel base. And uh, he wonders what Han's doing. And back to Han, who's talking to the kid. And he decides to take the kid because he reminds him of Luke. And they always need a good robot. So the kid's got a robot, so he's in too. So now that he's got his group of uh, mercenaries to go protect the, the the townspeople. So as they're heading into heading into the town, the uh, space pirates come up and basically try to pay them off or and threaten them from defending the village because word's gotten out through the green guy that the rabbit beat up that uh, they're gonna you know be there to protect the people. So he basically says, look, if you want to protect them, I'll kill you. But I can give you a little bit of money now, which I'm sure is more than you'll get from them. And Han tells him, you know, hey, look, they're giving us everything they got, which is more than you'll ever give us. So, you know, basically, fuck you. And uh, 
the kid gets all mad and goes to shoot the guy and uh and Amaza whacks the kid and knocks him out and the guy's like you're a bunch of jokers flies off and uh Han says come on we gotta go to this village and that's the end of issue 8 basically <laughs> with with a teaser for next issue showdown on a barren world um first off uh a quantum leap in art oh yes especially with Han Solo's face with just the faces of everybody the, the the first panel from this, the first page of this is one of my favorite Star Wars panels, ever. Opening yes. Last when I was a kid, I used to just love. I love the way the art looks in this this issue. It's got that sort of John Byrne organic. You know this this is like the first Star Wars comic I think that really starts capturing the way the characters look. And the way the Star Wars universe looks. To me, it's all about the Tom Palmer. Because for me, there, there, there's two things. When you're talking about Marvel Comics Star Wars, there's always two art styles that come to my mind. So you either he hit an eagle with this one, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's either Tom Palmer, you know, or uh, Carmine Infantino, who I know... A lot of people, you know, cringe or don't like his art style or whatever. I know that Jamie D on Comic Geek Speak can't stand Carmine Infantino, but I don't know. I mean, I, again, I guess it just owes back to being a kid, and this was what we got. But I, I loved his stuff. We'll get to him later on. He he's not in any of these issues, but yeah, this Tom Palmer. But it's funny you talk about that first page because, uh, yeah, I agree with you. The art's fantastic. But my, my first note is right on this first page, you know, Han should be looking at those three dudes and going, hey, weren't you guys all Asian the last issue? Yeah, yeah, they showed up, like, yeah, which, yeah. <laughs> which actually, The Magnificent Seven is a remake of an eight, of a, of a Akira Kurosawa movie that oh, I can't think yeah. of it, that maybe Yojimbo, but... Seven Samurais? Or Seven Samurais. And, uh... So so I was thinking it was kind of a tribute to that by having the three Asian guys come in at the end and all of a sudden it's Luke Skywalker, Uncle Owen and some guy who looks like a <laughs> businessman with glasses. He looks like he could almost be Asian with a pair of those weird glasses on, but yeah, all of a sudden there are three different people, but it doesn't matter because the art's better. So I'll forgive yeah, that inconsistency. Oh, go, you go to page 6. And my my note for this page was just that's my Chewy. I mean, yes. look at the Chewy. He's finally looks like the movie Chewy. I mean, yep. every panel he looks perfect. I mean, he just he's yes. the movie Chewy. Finally, he doesn't look like a Sasquatch or a a fat Ewok or whatever. He he looks, you know, just like the movie Chewy. It's he's, the way he's it's the way his fur goes. You know, mm -hmm. they they've got and the facial expressions and the eyes and stuff yeah it's all right and yeah the 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 scene where he catches han solo is that's like almost in my mind when i was reading it last night that's where like the crowd started cheering it's just like oh yeah all of a sudden it's right you know mm -hmm. and and the page before it had some pretty fun aliens too there's the one guy that's like the robot with the breath mask and on top of his head, I always love the the clear, 
glass with a brain inside <laughs> stuck on top of a robot that's always hot. And uh, there's a there's a real actual gorilla man in this, which is good because it's not Chewy. But the, there's that gorilla guy is what Chewy looked like in the last few episodes. <laughs> yeah, the aliens are fantastic. Yes. I, I like the guy. He looks like he's made out of tree bark or something. You're he's sucking on a. He's drinking like a Fanta or something on yeah, this one like page a, he, here. Yeah, he's like a beaver sort of guy, or yeah. he's got sort of like beaver fur. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Or they're like feathery, beavery things on him. Yeah, I agree. And and Han, and they got that. You know, Han looks like Harrison Ford in this. Issue. Yeah, and a lot of them. Yeah, a lot of the panels he does. Now, this is something I would never have caught as a kid. And it was really on this reread that I caught it and I thought, wow, I wonder if this is some sort of whatever. All right, the the, the bad guy, this skeezy sort of Pancho Villa-looking space pirate guy, the, the badass Cloud Rider guy that they're going to fight, his name is Sergi X Arrogantus. Yeah. And I look at the way he's drawn and I look at that name and I start to think about Sergio, Sergio Aragones. And I'm thinking, is this a tribute or is this a dig or, you know, is it just a co- – it, it's weird. I mean, I wish I knew – They could be friends of each other and they could have been friends of each other and he was just like, I'm going to name this guy. Maybe – I mean, uh, uh, I'd like to see a – you know – from the pictures that Sergio Aragones draws of himself, I mean, they're caricatures and cartoony, but he could possibly look like this guy. So I'd like to see a picture of him yeah. and see if he, of from about this time period, and see if this guy looks like him. And because he's definitely a Star Wars fan, he's done some Star Wars comics himself. So, or at least he did at least one Star Wars comic, anyway. Sergio Aragones did. Yes. Oh yeah. I've got it somewhere. I'll dig it out. It's got um you know, it's it's your basic Sergio Ergo it's just short tidbits. It was like um it was like Star Wars meets Gru the Wanderer, you know, it was except it was just sort of short episodic little jokes on you know, with using the Star Wars characters and situations. Hmm. So it, you know, he might have been like, Hey, can I be in one of these Star Wars comics? So yeah, I, I I didn't notice that. That's a that's a good call there. Now the thing, I think my favorite thing in this issue besides the art, which I, I can't stop gushing about the art. It just it, it just really works for me. I mean this this just this is my classic Star Wars right here. Especially you know later on, Tom Palmer would come back way later in uh, in a lot of the issues set between Empire and Jedi. Especially like around the time where we meet like Fen Shisa and so those are some of my favorite issues. So you know he comes back and 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 adds his uh, his talents to those issues and and makes them really great too. On page uh, fifteen, I, I was reading this again. I was like, wow, you know th- this really <laughs> this issue actually fits better with some of the prequel stuff than than the movies themselves fit. Because uh, there's the part where Don Juan Quixote introduces himself and everything, and uh, 
Han's like, what are you talking about, old man? The Jedi have been outlawed since the rise of the Empire. And then, you know, Don Juan gives a little speech about, you know, the Jedi and blah, blah, blah. And then Han whispers to Chewie, saying, yeah, I know he's crazy, Chewie. Doesn't even realize Darth Vader destroyed the Jedi years ago. And I, I just like, you know, I like that. You know, this this issue actually somewhat half-assed fits with, into that, you know, into that continuity. I think that's... I I just thought that was really cool. You still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I I must have hit my (laughs) mute. Yeah, whether they knew it or not, whether that that was a piece of information they were given or not, um, it really, yeah, it really worked out well. Now, uh, another thing that, this is really nerdy, on page 14 in the the middle, the third, fourth panel in, does it Han Solo actually looks like Starbuck from uh, <laughs> yes, he the original Battlestar Galactica there? Why is he sitting around without his shirt on? Why is he just sitting there without a shirt on? It's probably a tribute to a scene in a movie where somebody was, you know, in their hotel room, like, with their shirt off. Because I, I, there's a lot of little tribute, you know. There's a lot of little tributes. There's a Do, Don Quixote is in it, you know. He doesn't yeah. have a Sancho Panza though, you know. You would sort of expect him. You, he should have had the robot. The little fat robot should have been his, and it should have been Sancho Panza. <laughs> and uh, the rabbit. I don't know what the rabbit's a tribute to, but uh-huh. <laughs> maybe like funny animal comics or something, because he's got the big eyes with the eyelashes, and he's just sort of. I got he's kind of Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny, oh, yeah. yeah. He's yeah. a wisecracker, and uh, but he hates carrots. And the scene where he kicks the guy, you know, he looks like Gumby. He looks like one of those rubber toys, you know. <laughs> he looks like Mister Fantastic stretching his leg out, you know. Yeah, he does. And but I love like halfway down where he's just sort of got that blah look on his face and he's like well hooray for your side you must have been eating space carrots never could stand myself blah and he's like yeah I know you're a meat eater blah 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 but it, it, it's great he just has that great ridiculous badass face you know I'm a badass I'm a seven foot rabbit now did you catch the the kid the star killer kid yes that was uh, Luke's. That was going to be Luke's original, original name before they made it Skywalker. It was going to be Star Killer. I thought that was kind of interesting yet annoying at the same time. Well, they I don't made like him so kid. much like Luke. He was yeah, a blonde-haired kid. He had the same hat with the little goggles on him and everything, and the same. You know, it was just too. I mean, it's so similar that they had to address it. Where Hano actually goes, this guy reminds me of Luke. And this little three-page era where Han thinks about Luke and then we cut to Luke and then back to Han is, is I just love the way this oh, was yeah. pulled off. For one, okay, you've got this sort of symmetry on the page of Han's head when he starts to get Luke and Luke down in the cor- corner and both of their pictures, those two particular pictures are just really good. Mm-hmm. Um, very good likenesses and uh the picture of Han and when we're talking about Tom Palmer is just very I, I can't even explain it, but the way his hair is done, the way mm-hmm. his hair is inked in, is very Tom Palmer like and works out well. And then by the time they get to the next page, you know, um 
Luke's talking to 3PO about Ben Kenobi and you've got a shot of Luke and 3PO and then like a shot of Ben Kenobi and Darth Vader and the Death Star and then Han in action and then it's back to Han remembering Luke and then it's back to his adventure and I love how that plays out it's very Star Wars you know yeah absolutely cutting from one person to another like that from you know Han doing one thing to Luke doing another thing it's very uh forward of uh of Empire and everybody's face uh, Ben Kenobi looks a little like he could be a little like kind of an alcoholic he's a little little overweight and got a little hesh to him you know where he's just sort of like Bleh. but still it's the picture of Darth Vader in the Death Star is beautiful Darth Vader with his lightsaber now I understand that that the latest Dark Horse um, reprinting of some of this material, you know, they've really, you know, jazzed it up and recolored some of it, and it just is supposed to really pop and look good. I'd like to, I'd like I'd to like see, see some. I'd be curious because yeah. I I can just barely make out the the right below the caption box where it says funny though Luke, uh-huh. Luke goes on there's an X-wing, X-wing right there but you can just barely see it and I yeah. bet you they, they got that popping out a lot better when they when they jazz this stuff up for the yeah. reprint well my last note on this issue was uh, did you happen to, to, to read the letters page yes oh, I loved it uh, <laughs> this guy took him to task about just how awful the first issue was in his and, opinion and you know what it's it's the internet bef- 30 years before the internet mm-hmm. you know 25 20 years before the internet this guy this guy is, just gives a major flame and it's the total and i hear him in the voice of the comic book nerd from the simpsons <laughs> may i read just a little bit of it yeah go ahead people About a year ago, I stopped collecting comics because they were getting too expensive for my tastes. However, I came out of my hermitage long enough to pick up issues 1 through 4 of Star Wars at my recent convention. Because of my devotion to the movie, I was utterly disgusted at the job you people have done on the comic end. First of all, Roy's adaption is, to say the least, horrendous. He's added things that don't need to be added, given the reading of fourth grade look. Why, he can't even spell Wookiee right is beyond me. I think fame has gone to the Thomas head so that everybody thinks he can do whatever he wants because he is who everybody claims he is. Roy Thomas. Boy, wonder. I'm amazed you don't try to put that in a comic book. Let me say before I rip into Howie Chaikin that I really enjoyed the poster he did a year ago, but the artwork in issue number one just left me cold. Most of it seemed as if it were just hacked out and not given the time he could have given it. No doubt it was the upper echelons that made him move his tush faster so that he could move his pen. Luckily, Leahola's ink, as well as his superior coloring methods, Oh, Marie, Marie, you should be baking cakes for the peasants rather than doing a guillotine job on ish one has saved the series somewhat. I haven't seen number five yet, although I know it's out. All I ask now is that when you go on with the series after Roy's mutant adaptions of the novel, please, please get a pro sci-fi man in to do the stories or call in Don McGregor, who did such a beautiful job scripting the Kill Raven series rather than have Star Wars turn into another superhero mag. God love them for themselves, though. And don't take it too hard, Roy. 
You can write all of Ben Grimm's dialogue forever. Don D. Contreras, Garden Grove, California. <laughs> oh, I'm out of breath. Bravo, bravo. That was an excellent uh, imitation. <sighs> well, you know, what's funny to me is that they devote most of the rest of Pretty the much, letters yeah. page to addressing his uh, his criticisms and stuff. And, you know, I don't recall very many harsh rebuttals from Marvel to, to readers that would do this kind of thing. No, they would and usually they, be just like, whoa, hey, well, sorry you didn't like it or something exactly, like that. Exactly. And you know what? They don't hold back in this. I mean, they pretty much tear the guy up, and I, I love it. You know, and, then they the say, guy, and then they say, well, maybe we were harsh, but maybe you can learn a lesson from this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I like that. And, uh, you know, I, I can't help but wonder if, if it was things like that that contributed to, you know, these guys, you know, they, they wrapped up their, their little story arc, you know, with this, you know, because this 7 through 10 is its own self-contained story. And when it was over, both uh, both Thomas and, uh, and Chaikin were gone. And I know that part of it had to do with... Uh, you know, word reached Roy Thomas that, that Lucas was not happy with this story. You know, he, he didn't uh -huh. like the direction that he had gone and, and how things had, had turned out with the story. So, you know, he, he decided rather than, you know, I, I've heard that story firsthand myself from, uh, from what's her name, Joe Duffy, oh. you know, that, that working within the, the Lucasfilm constraints of the time and what they would allow you to do and what they uh, most especially what they wouldn't allow you to do with the characters was really hard for the for the writers of this series so you know i i, I guess that had something to do with it but i just i wonder you know do, do letters like that do they do they affect these people you know do they make them just you know well the hell with it i'm already having a hard time with george lucas you know now the fans are giving me shit <laughs> i'm done you know yeah i'm sure they got a lot of favorable letters too they probably got a million favorable letters oh, yeah. it was a huge i mean they were printing 10 different versions of it by this time of the movie adaption so it's true maybe yeah, they we'll just Maybe they just thought this guy's was particularly worth. Maybe it just pissed them off enough that they were like, "Okay, let's just do this guy." Maybe there were a couple others like this, and they said, "Let's see which one is the one we want to respond to," and picked out this one. All right, moving on to. Uh, I'm sorry. Did you have anything else with issue eight? Nope. I'm I'm uh, ready to go on to number nine. Number All right, nine. number nine. We still have the same art team on the cover, and uh, I like this cover a bit more than uh, number eight. Number eight was the only cover in the, in this four issue set that I, I didn't much care for, but this cover, it's uh, it's very space westernish, but it's still really cool. You know, you got Han with his uh, his two. Uh, you know, they look like six shooters, but you know they're two laser pistols, one in yeah. each hand, and he's shooting at the cloud riders oh it's the third in the row that's been sort of space westernish oh yeah so we go to the inside this story is showdown on a wasteland world written by roy thomas again with uh, art chores by howard chaikin and tom palmer and uh right off the bat you know shooting holes in your bantha theory because here they got the banthas just the way i love them hairy and big lipped Furry just with like their just like lips. girlfriend, now that I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Except uh, 
My, well, my girlfriend has ponytails. I guess that is sort of like the horns on these things. Yeah, there you go. Maybe that's why I was attracted to her in the first place. She looks like a bantha. How sweet. Yeah. Just call me a bantha riding <laughs> sin person. <laughs> so, you know, I can almost, this first page, you know, they're they're all on their banthas. They're riding through this, you know, desert planet style Tatooine sort of stand-in planet through the valley. And I can almost imagine if this was a filmed adventure, if this was a filmed movie, they're riding through that same canyon in Tunisia, you know, that was in the first and third movies, or, you know, yep. fourth and sixth, depending on how you look at it. And, you know, we have your typical comic book flashback, you know, where Han's, you know, reflecting on how the hell did I get here sort of thing. And we're reintroduced to all the characters and, you know, what their what their deal is and everything. So, you know, your typical two-page comic book, you know, wrap-up in case this was your first issue. You're just coming in. You don't know what the hell is going on. And they're riding along. They're, the, the, the thing is they're headed toward the village that they have to defend. So they're, they're on their way there. And they get attacked by these – what the hell are the name of these things that they – I'm trying to find where they're called here. What are the names of these things? I'm not seeing I'm it anywhere. For it. They get they get called something. something. Yeah. Oh well, it doesn't matter. Anyway, they are one of the creepiest things I've seen in any comic. They are basically giant like they almost look like they're hairy like buzzards, but with man faces and they're they're just damn creepy looking. And bug eyes. Their eyes yeah. are like multifaceted bug eyes. Yeah. They're just – oh, they're just disturbing looking. So anyway, they're sweeping down into this village and uh, I guess the intent is they're going to come and you know pick the crops clean or whatever and Han and crew have just – you know they've just happened to arrive in the nick of time so they start shooting – you know, these things out of the sky or, you know, using lightsabers or whatever the deal is, you know, depending on what their powers and weapons are. And they save the village from these things. They drive, you know, the, the ones that they didn't kill, they drive them away. And the villagers are all happy to see them. And, you know, thanks for helping us out. And they, they set Han and company up to where, you know. Don't forget that Han meets the village, village oh, yeah. leader's daughter. The saves village her from one of the creatures yeah. and takes a shine to her little blonde bathing suited body. Yeah, he likes her. He's got the hots for her. She comes and sits in his lap. That's why. Yeah. And her name's Mary. He wants Mary. to make Mary. Mm-hmm. So then we have a nice little uh, reflection back to what's going on with Luke. In the meantime, you know, Luke. You know, you'll remember from the last issue, he took off to uh, on a secret mission to go scout for a new. Uh, base for the rebels to migrate to now that uh vader knows where they are and luke is about to say something about the the area that he's at the planet that he's scoping out when all of a sudden no it isn't possible and his message message is cut off and you know leia she's got the hots for her brother so she's flipping out she's saying, what the hell's going on so she runs off cut back to the planet and Han's trying to direct everybody, you know, set up plans and, and make preparations for when these uh, Skyrider guys come calling. 
and he's suddenly approached by the very scurvy, creepy-looking old dude of the village who says, "We don't need you here because uh, I can take care of these people all by myself. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm privy to a secret, you know, that that can defend the village or whatever his beef is." Um, oh, also, we have a nice little uh, pinup special here by Howard Chaikin, which Ah, uh, check out Leia's boobs. Oh yeah, Gravity's doing some work on those. I will totally forgive the dog-faced Chewbacca for those Leia boobs. <laughs> She's hot. You know, I can I look at that and I can see I can see the 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 precursor to things like uh, Black Kiss. You know. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah she's. Uh, oh, we gotta we gotta come back wait, to that one later wait, wait. on. Okay, so uh, <laughs> so then all of a sudden they're attacked by Sergi X and his band of flying scumbags as they come in to pick the village clean and do their raping and pillaging and you know their their annual thing. And he's surprised that uh, that Han and the the crew showed up to actually do the job and defend the village. And Han, you know, decides to give them what for, and they're having a nice little, you know, dog fight, laser fight. And uh, right away, the Star Killer Kids robot gets blasted. You know, he's saving the Star Killer Kids' life. Um. Now, this was the one thing that didn't make any sense to me. Is there's a scene where. Uh, where uh, Don Juan Quixote, the Jedi Knight, gets mowed down. Yep. We'll come back to that later on. And then, while all this is going on, they're having this big battle. Han and his crew is trying to defend themselves and simultaneously shoot these guys out of the air. The old creepy village guy is out wailing and hollering and gnashing his teeth, screaming at this this big... I don't know, what is it, a cave or a stone face yeah, or something? It's like a rock formation, it looks like, like a rock wall, basically. And uh, he's he's basically trying to awaken a power. And on the last page, we get a great reaction shot from uh, Han Solo going, Oh, hell, as if we didn't have enough to worry about. And suddenly, uh, it's a very sort of Gorgo, sort of Godzilla-looking... Monster Godzilla peeling the like bending the rock apart. Yeah, he's coming out. Briarg. I just wanna, I just wanna know, you know, because you know, how often do you know, you know, when you learned a word as a kid? But this was definitely the first time I ever saw the word behemoth as a kid. So I, yes. I just thought that was worth pointing out. And um, so Me then we too, get. And the, I always thought it was behath. The half moth. <laughs> yeah, I know. I couldn't pronounce it, but that was definitely the first time I saw the word behemoth or something like that. And, yeah. and I'll always the oh, and I remember it's when I reread this last night, and I haven't. I don't know. It's probably been twenty five, twenty years since I've read this. Maybe I, you know, as soon as I would read the, that line, oh hell, if we didn't have enough to worry about, totally is stuck in my memory because that's a that's just a good Han Solo line I could hear yeah. Harrison Ford delivering that line and I could when I was a kid too and yeah I'll always remember I like this issue it's just like the last one the art is great especially the first couple pages are just beautiful there's another great picture of Han Solo's face on page two and what, what really cracks me up on the second page is there's a like a creature in a spacesuit attacking Chewie. 
But the way he's in, you know, he has a space helmet on, a round space helmet, and he's this little red, greasy-looking guy with big eyes. But he's like licking the outside edge of his of his helmet that's up against Chewie's head. It's just really weird looking. It looks like he's like climbing up on Chewie and licking his head, and Chewie's like, "Rah, you know, cut it out, <laughs> get it's off just, me, freak!" But <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's this uh, those. Two, the opening two pages are just beautifully drawn, mm-hmm. and there's a there's a shading technique that they you must have used in this. Yes, that. that, that oh, what is that called? Yeah, because they were using it on like Daredevil and. Yeah, it just it's it just started around this time period, you know, and uh, sometimes it looked really cheesy, but it's used to really good effect in here, like on. Han Solo's face and on the Star Destroyers that are, you know, the shots of the Star Destroyer pirate ship attacking the Millennium Falcon in the flashback. It looks really neat. And then there's there's the weird elements still are drawn, rendered well. They just look weird. Like the, like the um, Bantha on the bottom of page three. I mean, it looks like a Muppet puppet. You can almost see the person's hand in there just going, opening its mouth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I love I, it though. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It does look like a giant Muppet. And I agree with you. Those, those, you know what those um those bird creatures with the human faces remind me of something out of the those old Whitman Star Trek comics. Oh yeah, the Enterprise yeah. log comics. Manhawks. That's what they're called. Man. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> description because that's what they look like too. They look like manhawks. They do. They look like. Like giant buzzards, but with people heads, and that's with, just it, with still a ugh. beak sort of thing. Their nose is sort of pointy, like a beak. And I'm uh, gonna have fucking nightmares about these things tonight. Just looking at that that and first they say, hand. and they say scraw, <laughs> and then their lasers say zick zick, Vazak. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got to, I've got to keep up on the. Chewy speak, and, and also on the first page, Chewy does say "hrug," <laughs> and I love the look on his face too. He just has this look of disgust on his face. He's just like "hrug." Maybe okay. it's like a puking noise he's making. Maybe he's choking on a hairball. Oh damn it! You just stole my you stole my joke. I was just gonna say that the the, the top panel on page eleven answers the age old question: Does Chewy get hairballs? Because Chewy's going "hrug." <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's my cats pretty, do that. I'm pretty sure that's the noise my. And here and on page now that we're on this page <laughs> on page 13, there's this shot where you know Princess Leia's on with the rebels and deep under the ground on the fourth moon of Yavin and whichever moon of Yavin. And there's like these laser beams, sort of these beams of light, sort of going through the rebel base and these guys sitting at the computer panels. One of the guys has a, one of the beams of light, like goes in one side of his neck and comes out the other, and you hurt. can almost sort of see it through his head. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. In the artwork, this is it's weird. It's like he's a hologram or something. It's strange, but that is, cool. Yeah, I ne- didn't even notice that before. You're right. I always noticed that when I was a kid because I thought, well, maybe he's a hologram and that's just passing through him. But uh, I like the the, the the, the, there's another uh, close-up of Luke that's very good, Mark mm-hmm. Hamill-looking Luke. 
But on the next page, on page 15, is the goofiest page of all. Because it's got that, it's got the C-3PO where it looks like someone squashed his head down, like squashed the middle part out of his head. He's just a little <laughs> weird, like... And, he looks like Ike from from, from South, South Park. Park. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the bottom of it, Princess Leia decides, you know, I'm going down there, and starts to run off. And she like, I don't know, leans her head all the way forward as if she's in a windstorm. Like I'm going, and instead of just walking off, she like tips her body at a. 45 degree angle and starts like sticks her butt up in the air and is just sort of puts her arms ahead of her. It's, it's just really weird. There's just no way a human being could. It's like she's at the she's like doing a sprint from a starting gun. Well, yeah, it's very dramatic, got, but it's just not physically right. She she's got her ass in that guy's face I know and by the look on his face she's gotta get out of that room cause she's just she's just broke some bad wind or something well yeah well his face does have a sort of green reflection in it too <laughs> oh man we are so bad oh man so what did you uh, what did you think reading this as a kid and what do you what do you think looking back on it now do you, do you have a Oh, I loved it when I was a kid, but I was sort of like at the end of it, I was like, "What is this Godzilla now? You know, where did yeah, this, the, where yeah, did this exactly. come from? You know." But I like it. It's just sort of like things just don't stop happening. It was pretty traumatic that the kid's robot got killed. That like I couldn't believe that when I was a kid, and then Don Juan Quixote gets killed, or supposedly, or whatever, and uh, uh, there's a great. Don Juan Quixote like slicing this guy in the back with the lightsaber while the guy goes yarg and like his eyes are all <laughs> I love that shot it's definitely a yarg shot alright on to number uh, number 10 and also one other note is ten and the 9 and 10 also this is where the dialogue is a little bit flowery in these and a yes. little bit too like when the robot is getting in the way of the guy who's going to shoot his kid friend who they don't really like each other but they do but they always argue he's you know in the half a second where he gets in the way and gets shot he says I am just a tractor robot not really programmed for this sort of thing but even though the star killer kid is not my master I cannot let him be shot down by that outlaw's weapon even though it means my bzzack <laughs> and then he's bisected you, so my friend, need to read you some some classic Roy Thomas Avengers if you think this shit's wordy. Really? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Or you know, like uh, read like the uh, the Cree Scroll War sometime. Whew. I mean, great. It's classic stuff. I'm not knocking it, but wow. I mean, the man. It was like he was paid by the word or something. Because yeah, maybe he it, was. Could it, it could be? I mean, it was. It, it's some of it's. Some of it's tough to get through. You know, it's comic books. It's not supposed to be war and peace, you know? That's true. All right, so... Okay, wait. I'm opening up the wrong one. We just did number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Now it's on number ten. Number ten. So, so it's my turn. Nice cover by uh, by Rick Hoberg on that one. That's a town I go to all the time. <laughs> 
Hoberg. Hoberg. It's the ba- it's the ba- behemoth from below. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I, I I like this I like this cover too. And and once again, it ha- and I like that at last beyond the movie beyond the galaxy, and it's of course got the classic. Um, sword and sorcery, Luke Skywalker up in the corner. Thundar the Barbarian. I like Chewie's phaser rifle too. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of a variation on his, on his one from and. Uh, okay, this one's a little different than, than the last three. Um, this one has Don Glut as the scriptwriter and Howard Chaikin as artist and co-plotter. Tom Palmer once again golfing his way in as co-artist and embellisher. Alan Cooperberg does lay did the layouts for it, and then F. Mooley, Mowley, colorist, and Jay Costanza again. It's a letter Roy Thomas, editor, co-plotter, and uh, this one has a lot of that sort of gray shading. Thing Is it, it gray tone? Is that what it's called? It might be called gray tone. I'm not sure, but it's it, there's there's a lot of it in this and. Zipatone? Maybe. Damn it. I know I should know the term and I just can't think of it. It's driving me crazy, but uh, hopefully somebody will write in or, or, or let us know on the it. There's or somebody who's, who knows what. And uh, once again, this it's very de- This art's very detailed. It, looks, it just looks really good. For some reason, the printing in this episode, or this episode, this issue seems a lot more clear. And mm-hmm. that, you know, and and uh, the darks and lights are a lot. You know, it's much more defined. So the de- it looks even more detailed and interesting than the than the last one. And and then you got Donald Glut writing it, which is pretty cool. Didn't you know he ended up he did like the novelization right for for Empire, Empire. yeah, absolutely. So this is like this is Donald Glut's first, as far as I could tell this must be his first Star Wars experience hardcore uh, comic geeks might also recognize his name from uh, he did uh, some episodes of Spider-Man and his amazing friends beloved cartoon from our from our childhood so uh, so this one starts out with the with the last one with the pirates attacking but at the same time you know Godzilla is coming up from the ground <clears throat> and Godzilla just the the behemoth 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 bohemoth <laughs> however we never knew how to pronounce it when we were kids um, starts just smashing the hell out of the pirates just taking them out and he's he's, he's basically sort of like you know a, a humanoid Godzilla because he's got two arms two legs but they're more humanoid than Godzilla's. But he's also got a sort of laser on top of his head that he can shoot out. So he's taking out pirates, and and uh, so Han notices, hey, listen, this guy's uh, he's just attacking the bad guys. He's leaving us alone, and you know, basically, you know, rock will fall in their way or something. But it's not going after him. So they're like, so we should just leave this guy to his devices because this guy's gonna take out the pirates without us having to get killed and uh all of a sudden Don Juan Quixote's alive again and says something about you know <laughs> my armor saved me last time so luckily I'm still alive that's why I'm in this frame and uh 
so okay they're fighting this creature and uh don or um what's his name what's the uh the space pirates Sergiex Sergiex Aragantes notices that the old shaman sort of creepy looking guy is down on the ground aping the the movements of the of the creature so they're sort of in sync with each other so he's like okay if I take out the old guy maybe I'll be uh, taking out the creature so he goes down to attack the old guy and now I don't know if this was as a move of suicide or whatever, but the the giant creature stomps Sergi X and the old guy. Just boom, take womp, puts his foot down on him. And once that happens, he's no longer hooked up with the old guy. He just starts starts destroying everything. So then Han Solo decides, look, we gotta we gotta kill this thing because otherwise it's gonna destroy the town and then what'll they have to pay us with? So they start fighting it and quickly realize that it's kind of out of hand. This thing is huge and it's going to kill him. And Don Juan Quixote does the Jedi thing where he says, I'm you know, going to go off on my own and kill him and cuts off from the group and goes up after him. And, uh, you know, Han's trying to form a plan. But um, meanwhile, you know, he's forming his plan and he notices Don Juan Quixote's not there and sees him going up towards the creature cut back to Luke or no well, we cut back to Leia who's looking for Luke who's mysteriously disappeared and she sort of recaps that she's still in her weird posture flying her ship <laughs> looking for him maybe and she's got a bad back she's got something wrong with her usually people with bad backs don't bend over well yeah when they're old they do she well, can't anyway. straighten up that's what it is she sort of recaps her mission and says, I'm going after Luke. I hope he's okay. Whatever. Back to Don Quixote, who confronts a creature, and the creature's coming after him, but something about the guy's lightsaber is screwing up the creature's brain and screwing up his laser thing so it's not working right. So he's having trouble attacking the guy. And you don't really see it in the illustrations, but it seems like by everybody's reaction that Don Quixote is sort of acting like an old Jedi. You know, he's, he's, he's putting up a good fight, but he's old. And Han realizes after he sees the, uh, the porcupine goes up and tries to sort of help, but you know, his quills are no really don't really stop this thing. So Han is watching this and decides, well, this guy's too old. He has Chewie grab him and run him run him up there to the guy, takes a lightsaber, gets in close to the creature, and drives it into him. And then runs away like he's just planted a time bomb or something. And the creature flips out, and then all of a sudden just sort of, like, dies, you know, with a blast of light coming from his, his midsection where the lightsaber went in. And, uh, thus saving the village... And um, turns out the Star Killer kid is from from that village, and now Mary, the girl that Han Solo took a shine to, has decided that now she likes the Star Killer kid. Now that who he's was probably himself. the most useless person in the entire fight, by who the way, who didn't do a single thing for the fight at all except watch his robot get mowed down, and uh, so you know she gives Han Solo a little kiss on the a little you know, bonus kiss on the cheek. Here you go. See you later. 
which it's just the look on his and Chewie's face in that picture is great, but we'll get to that. And, you know, the Starkiller kid obviously looks like he's go, getting ready to go off and, and mate with her as he waves to them as they ride off into the, <laughs> literally ride off into the tattooing-like twin sunset while Han muses it. You know, now he feels, now he knows what a Jedi Knight feels like and, man, that chick was hot. Well, what the hell, she was kind of young anyway. So... Han ducks out. Now, also in all this, um, well, that's that. That about wraps that up. We can get into the analysis. Analysis, analysis. Like I said, the when, when she's kissing Han goodbye, he's just like, "Whoa!" Got this look on his face. Actually, he's saying, "Huh?" And Chewie's <laughs> got this look. I don't know if it looks like he's got like a cigarette butt clenched in one corner of his mouth or he's spitting out, drooling out some chewing tobacco or something, but he's just He looks like, like he's Rrr. disgusted or something. He's, yeah. He's watching her kiss him, kiss Han, and he's like, yeah. yeah. It's like Jeez. my kids make that face when I kiss my wife. Well, there's a little bit of you gotta be kidding me in this too, to his face too. It just, it just cracks me up. But once again, good art, good art in this one. Um, mm. This is this is the one where um, you know, in the heat of battle, Amaza and the you know, uh, Amaza twists her ankle, and the rabbit almost gets killed, and they start sort of admitting that they have feelings for each other. Because he hits on her earlier, and she's like, "Listen, I'm not gonna start hanging around with you because people in the village will start to talk." But in this one, you know, they're actually they actually start to show concern and maybe like you know if the story was you know abruptly all these characters go away <laughs> after this issue so i think george lucas might have that might have he might have helped nip that in the bud but if these characters ended up being like regulars they would have probably had a had a romance going now we will see some of these guys again though for, further down the road, I, I, I'm I'm thinking it's around the time that Valance the Cyborg shows up. We we do see some of these guys again because I, I just distinctly remember um, Don Juan and uh, and I want to say Amaza too, but I, I'm not sure. But I, I'm I don't know, I could be dead wrong, but we'll we'll see when we get there. But I'm thinking it's right around like number sixteen or somewhere around there that we we do see these guys again. At least briefly, anyway. Maybe uh-huh. just to to permanently shunt them off to <laughs> right. you know some distant corner of the Star Wars forgotten universe. Yeah. But but they were definitely like building the building the framework for a possible romance between the two of them. You know, mm-hmm. a very Han Solo and Princess Leia like from Empire, actually, where she's like, you know, look out, and he's like, oh, is that a little affection in your voice, huh? And she's like, ah, oh, well, screw you, rabbit. Silly rabbit. Tits are for human kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that that was the, probably the biggest thing to me, um, the biggest change between when I was a kid and now, was that when I was a kid, I, I found... Don Juan, I guess I didn't realize. Oh my Don God, dude! Quixote and uh, Don if, Juan Quixote, you know. So as a kid, I thought Don Juan Quixote was kind of cool because he was kind of the the Ben Kenobi fill in. But I found Jackson the Rabbit to be fucking annoying. 
But reading these again, I actually kind of liked him and found Don Juan to be really annoying. So it's it's a weird change up. I ended. I used to find both of them annoying, <clears throat> but this time I liked both of them. <laughs> uh, when I was a kid, I thought Don Juan Quixote was just too obvious a uh, uh, Ben Kenobi. He even had Juan in the you know, right? It was it was, it was like Obi Wan and and Don Quixote, and it was just a lucky triple pun that it came out like Don Juan too, you know. So it was just like this. It was a witty name, sort of, for you know, for a Star Wars comic book, but it's also witty in a Earth way. Which right. I didn't like when I was a kid, you know. I didn't like Earth things intruding into my Star Wars, you know, because it just doesn't make sense. I remember one of the things that really pissed me off as a kid was Chewbacca doing a Tarzan yell in Jedi. Yes. I was just like, oh, come on, why, why? Yeah, still don't I remember like sitting that. there in the movie theater as a kid just going like, did they have to do that? That's not funny. It's supposed to be a big funny moment, and, uh, and everybody laughed, but I was sitting there going, God damn it. Um, I have uh, <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite scenes of this is with Jackson, where, where rocks are, are about to crush him. It's on page 11. They're coming down to crush him, and, and he's saying, Heavenly hutches. Rocks knocked the gun out of my hand. Uh, for one, hutches is just so earth rabbit living in hutches. It's just like it's just like you said in that one. How come you know Mace Windu has to come from Africa planet? You know, right. why does this planet have to be like Africa? That's like rude. Why does the rabbit have to? Why? Because he's a rabbit-like thing. Does he have to say hutches? And as far as that goes, why should he have a complex about being rabbit-like? Because in the Star Wars universe, there probably aren't rabbits, and nobody would think twice about there being, you know, whatever. <laughs> but at the same time, I love the noise that the rocks are made. They're going, crumble. <laughs> crumble. But it's crumble without, it's just crumble with two M's and no E. But they, uh. I they, like they... Chewy. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. You get, is there a good Chewy? Yeah, Chewy on the, in the third panel on page 15. Does that look like the rock just fell on his leg? Because he's got this look on his face like <laughs> he's saying, Girk, but I imagine Girk means shit. <laughs> what page is this, 13? Uh, 15. Oh, third 15. panel. Yeah, third panel on page 15. He's just got this look like, oh, shit, that hurts. <laughs> yeah, it's like yay. <laughs> He's got the big eyes and the open mouth. It's just funny. Yeah. And uh, once again, Princess Leia is in that sort of like, you know, face forward, whole body at an angle, pointed forward, with her hand like hands, right hand on one control, left hand on buttons to another control, staring forward into space. You know, I bet. Except if she's flying around the universe looking for Luke, going to Luke Skywalker, wouldn't it be more like set the coordinates and sit down for eight hours, <laughs> instead of standing there going like, what is she steering around things and stuff in space? Is she just like, you know, I don't, I don't get it. I like that ship though. I think the yeah, ship. Yeah, I like is the ship. I like the art in it too, and it, and it looks like Carrie Fisher and. It's just, it's just, it's just funny. It's, it's, it's exaggerated in the way comics were 
in these days you know it's got a lot of those which is actually what makes it great you know i tell you what i'm so so happy though later on in in later issues and i and i think it takes a lot longer for it to happen to leia than it happened than it took to happen to luke but both luke and leia suffer from being stuck in their first movie outfits for so long you know, <laughs> yeah got i know the and leia's got the you know the the Han white open buns in her ear. Well, Han's outfit—I mean, uh, didn't really change that. E- even between Star Wars and Empire, you know, his shirt changed a little bit. But yeah, you know, I could forgive it with Han, I guess, because it almost looks like—I don't know—sort of like a like a, a biker uniform, or yeah, like a something. uniform. But with Luke and and Le- it just there, there's some of these stories later on that are quite ridiculous when they're supposed to be on some sort of like, you know, like an official mission or an espionage thing or something. And here's Luke wearing a desert wraparound, you know, right, and he's exactly. on like it, it's just it, it's silly in in a certain aspect. And I was just glad you know way later in the series, eventually, you know, Luke would actually have different outfits issue to issue. You know, one issue he'd have, you know, just a, you know, like a Jedi looking thing. And then the next one he'd have kind of a casual outfit. And eventually they even got to where they created outfits that, you know, weren't what you saw in the movies. He even had original outfits. So I like that too. But it took, it sure took a long time. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, there's every reason not to like these, you know, these first four issues, you know, with it, you know, being dinosaurs and, you know, this goofy plot with the villagers. But God, I I still do like it though. All these elements sort of rehashed from the movies and pop and our pop culture mixed together. Yeah. It shouldn't have worked, but, and, and when I was thinking about reading it, I was going like, you know, I loved it when I was a kid, but it's, you know, I remember, and the, and we were talking about it earlier, and we we're like, oh, that's right, there's a goddamn rabbit, and uh, <laughs> I'd forgotten about the porcupine. You know, we were just remembering, and we're all remember the kids got a robot with tank tracks. Oh yeah, that's right. And I was thinking, ah, it's gonna be cheesy, but I ended up enjoying. I the first issue I read, I was like, oh, this is good, and I was looking forward to the second issue. But after this, the um, issue number eight, eight, nine, and ten, I was like, I couldn't wait to get to the to each one, you know, I was just enjoying the hell out of them, and remembering reading them when I was a kid, and uh, they're just, they're fun, they're good. I was surprised rereading this, how much I enjoyed it, because I, I even as a kid, I was never the biggest Han fan. You know, I liked him in, in the group ensemble, but yeah. You know, there there seemed to be such you know amongst my friends anyway, everybody seemed to really latch on to Han Solo, yeah. and I was always a, a Luke guy. I always identified with Luke. His was the adventure and the and the quest and just the the yearn that I myself felt. You know, I wanted to be Luke. I I identified with Luke. So you know, while I while I found these stories really neat. You know, to me, the whole thing kicks off with the next issue because that's when Luke's in it full time, you know, and and then the story becomes the adventures of Luke Skywalker. And, but in a way, it was kind of nice to get the Han Solo stuff out of the way at the beginning because there there are a couple Han Solo stories. That was an unintentional pun. Solo 
Han and Chewie stories later on, toward the you know toward, way late in the in the series. Yeah, and those were always kind of the weaker issues to me. It's like they couldn't go home again. So it was good that they got these you know these adventures out of the way right at the beginning. You know, with with it just being Han and Chewie by you know on their own. Um. But yeah, next time we'll we'll do eleven and twelve, and uh, that those are really you know to me some some really uh, sentimental sentimental issues because I'm pretty sure that eleven and twelve were the first two post they might be the first two issues I ever got, but I know they were definitely the first two post movie issues I got of the series. It was it's tough to recall now, but right. I know that I definitely was not getting them in the order that they came out. Because it seems to me that 11 and 12 came in a bag that I bought at Walmart. Or, I yep, mean, uh, not did. Walmart. What they call did, it? Woolworths, rather. I bought mine in a bag, too. From 3 to 6 on, I bought, like, the whole... All those would come in a bag three at a time. So wasn't it, it was 10, 11, and 12, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I think 10, 11, and 12 may have been the first issues I ever got. Because I, I know for a fact that I read 10 before I ever read 7, 8, and 9. Because I remember already knowing about the monster and right. all that. And I can remember uh, 8 being a particularly hard issue to track down once upon a time. There, there were certain issues that were just seemed like they were they were more hard to find than, than other ones. But Distribution uh, was weird back then, too. You know, if you but those look. those first twelve got reprinted quite quite a little bit, and then you got to thirteen. I remember thirteen being one that took me an awful long time to track down as well. But anyway, well, that's uh, that's a pretty solid uh, amount of time for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, what else you got? Anything? No, I think that pretty much covers it for these. I'm looking forward to the next ones. Absolutely. I remember, I remember the, a lot of the story of those ones a lot better than I remember the stories of this one because that's where Luke started getting involved. That's where all the characters started getting right. involved again, you know, and the droids, you know, miss the, the having the droids around as much. Yep. So that'll be next time, um, 11 and 12 of uh, Marvel Comics Star Wars. We'll do another um, of the uh, Clone Wars animated series. That'll be the first Monday of next month. So of the sure new to year. join us. Yep. Yeah, that'll be the first Monday of 2009. And uh, yeah, has ever come to our Libsyn uh, blog page that the where you can. No, you're wrong, man. Because this episode that we're recording right now will be the first one of of the new year. Oh, you're right. You're we're right. already in December. Oh my God, you're right. <laughs> you have to edit that out. Oh, yeah, it's okay. You can correct me on the air. They already know <laughs> they already know that I'm not the brightest bulb in the chandelier. Well, it's it's one o'clock as we AM as we, as we record this, so yeah. Yeah. So so anyway they should come people should come to our Libsyn blog site which is two truefreaks.libsyn.com. Libsyn spelled L I B S Y N and you can download our podcast from there. You can uh, go to our MySpace site from there. You can uh, come to our um, our forum 
on the on the what the Comic Geek Speak forum. Yep. Is it the com- comicforums.com. Yep. And uh discuss whatever we're talking about on any particular show there or you can email us at two true freaks at gmail.com or you can go to our um what, what else do we have we have a youtube page and they're <laughs> all there's links to all of them on on that libsyn page that'll take you to every freaking place for your, freak, for your freaking convenience. For your freak venience. There you go. Wouldn't I be All a right. great salesman? I'm a great salesman. Hey. Ah, whatever. Please shoot me, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us. And uh, be sure to come back next week for Star Trek Monthly Mondays. And be sure to come back this time next month for the next installment of the Star Wars Monthly Mondays. Yep. And, Take uh, care. Take care, you two. May the Force be with you. <laughs>